right, thank you, Brother Tim. Gentlemen, if you could put the map up on the screen for me, I'd appreciate that. Uh, it's good to see Barry and Judy Ferguson back home with us again. And they ran away from home a few years ago. And this time you're back to stay, is that right? Okay, I'm not signing any more passes, uh, but we're happy to have you back and prayed for you. I know you traveled a lot of miles to get here. And uh, so praise the Lord for that. I uh, apologize from the get-go. Uh, my battery is in the basement tonight. I am uh, very, very low on the energy scale. But as long as the Holy Spirit shows up, we're in good shape. And uh, so I appreciate you praying for me, and I apologize for missing on Sunday night. Uh, Monday, I was at uh, Mid-State Hospital to see Tim Clack. I was walking down the hallway, uh, headed toward B-Wing, and a physician's assistant was coming down and he was on his phone and he looked up and he reached over and grabbed me. He said, sir, are you okay? Do I need to take you down to the emergency? And he tried to drag me to the ER and I wouldn't let him. Uh, but it's just kind of been one of those weeks. And uh, so I appreciate your praying. I appreciate your patience about this. Acts chapter number 19. Paul has been in the city of Ephesus uh, throughout this chapter. It is his longest ministry of any church that he established. Sometimes he was in a place for a matter of a few weeks. Um, uh, for example, Thessalonica, it was three Sabbath days. Uh, then there, were, there was persecution that happened and he was sent out of the city uh, by the believers. Uh, in Corinth, he was there about a year and a half uh, or so. But in Ephesus, he was there for two years uh, and some odd months, and it was one of the most phenomenal ministries of any missionary in the Bible. We know from uh, Acts chapter 19, if you can just go back a little bit, the Bible says in verse 10, this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Uh, everybody in that region, it's up on the map marked in red, uh, there, uh, the Bible says they heard the word of the Lord Jesus. Didn't mean they all got saved, but everybody heard the gospel. Uh, reminder, they did so without uh, the printed page as we know it today. That wasn't just gospel tracts. Uh, there were no radio stations, no internet, no television stations. It was all word of mouth. The people that got saved in the city of Ephesus became some of the most prolific soul winners in the history of the world. Uh, this was an, an, an incredible ministry there. Uh, in verse number 21, uh, we, we found that Paul has a plan for his future. It says, after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So, so, so Paul had a plan. And the plan was he wanted to leave where he was in Ephesus. He would go up to Troas, take a ship and go to Macedonia, this region here, and just make his way south down to the city of Corinth in Achaia. This was his habit. He would often go back and revisit the churches that he had planted. Uh, he would strengthen them. He would make sure they were doing well. Uh, he would make sure that everything was in, in, in order and so forth. And so Paul has that plan uh, that he wants to do. Before he is able to do that, a riot broke out in the city of Ephesus. We studied that in our last uh, study together. Uh, it started in verse 23 and went through the end of the chapter. 
uh, a silversmith named Demetrius uh, gave, gave pagan testimony to the effectiveness of this ministry in Ephesus. They didn't just talk about soul winning, they did it. Uh, they didn't just say, we believe in it. They practiced it. And he is saying, look, we are losing so many of the followers of Diana uh, that our craft is in danger as well as the, the veneration of this false pagan goddess. And they stirred the city up. Most of the people had no idea what was going on. Uh, it was a mob mentality took over. Uh, they rushed into the stadium that seated somewhere in the neighborhood of 25,000 people. Um, and uh, some were thinking they were there for one reason, some for another. And uh, eventually the chant went up, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And uh, that went on for a couple of hours and so forth. Uh, Paul's friends, the disciples in Ephesus, they, they kept him from going into that stadium. Paul was not afraid of anything. Uh, he, was not a, he was a bold man. I didn't mean brazen. He had a boldness in the Lord. Uh, and he wasn't worried. He wanted to go in. He wanted to try to, uh, you know, straighten it out. They had some of his companions in there. He was worried about them. But the other disciples kept him from going in. Uh, some of the important people in Ephesus uh, also lent their voices and they kept Paul out of harm's way. Eventually, the town clerk came in and settled things down and they all listened to him. He said, look, we are, we're going to get in trouble. The Roman authorities, uh, they don't look kindly on demonstrations like this. And we have no reason to be here. We have, we have, there, there's no, if Demetrius has a problem, let him go about it legally. Dismiss the people of verse 41. When he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly and everything quiets down. Now we're going to take a different tack for a little bit tonight uh, as we somewhat uh, conclude this whole ministry in Ephesus. So I want you to bear with me. Uh, I'm not rabbit trailing, though that's what it may look like for you. Look at verse 1 of chapter 20. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. So just like he purposed in verse 21, he is now doing that. Um, he is going to go up to Troas, uh, catch a ship, and he's going to go into Macedonia, and he is going to make that circuit that he plans to make. Verse 2 in chapter 20, when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece and there abode three months. And when the Jews, this would be in Corinth, laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. So he backtracked and uh, instead of taking uh, uh, the ship, sailing straight across to Syria, he ends up taking the long route and so forth. Now the inter interesting thing is Paul is gonna go back. The one city that Paul will skip on the return journey is the city of Ephesus. Unlike any of the other places where Paul started a church, he almost always went back, whether it was a year later, the next missionary journey, a decade later, just to see how his brethren fared. But for some reason, Paul never went back to the city of Ephesus. We will learn as chapter 20 progresses 
that, uh, that he comes down this way and he, you can see the arrow and he's kind of hitting these islands just a little bit. Ephesus is in here. He skips it entirely and comes here to Miletus and he will call for the pastors or the elders of the church at Ephesus and they'll travel down here to see him, but he himself will never go back to that city. There are some hints that are left for us elsewhere in the New Testament that there was a lot of, there was a lot of spiritual warfare, if not outright persecution, that Paul endured in the city of Ephesus. You mark this down. Anytime God is doing a work, the devil is also doing a work, or he's not very far behind. When you start growing and going forward in your Christian life, you need to become very prayerful and very careful because you mark it down. The devil is not going to allow that to go unchallenged. He's going he's to come after you. When a church begins to grow numerically, spiritually, God starts changing people's lives you mark it down, the devil is going to be there and spiritual warfare is going to become a reality. I want you to just look at a couple of places in scripture as Paul talks about uh, the ministry somewhat in Ephesus. And we'll go back and forth. Let's go to 2 Timothy, if you would. And once you found 2 Timothy, go to 1 Timothy. And there's a reason for all of this. Again, I'm, I'm not just doing a rabbit trail. First Timothy, verse one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our father and Jesus Christ, our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at where? Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So Paul left Timothy in the city of Ephesus and Timothy became their next pastor. I draw your attention to that because it's going to help you understand what he's going to write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. Believed to be Paul's very last letter before he went to heaven written to Timothy, obviously the pastor at Ephesus. Now he's going to encourage Timothy in this chapter to come to him before he goes to heaven. He says in verse nine, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. And uh, he'll describe a few things, some people that have left him, Demas backslid, having loved this present world. Uh, others have gone other places for ministry and so forth. Look at verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. Now, nowhere in Acts chapters 19 or 20 will you find the name Alexander the coppersmith. You will not find him there. So the Holy Spirit didn't choose to write in the book of Acts what this man did, but Paul references him many, many years later to Timothy, said, this man did me much evil. 
Apparently, as Paul tried to proclaim the gospel, uh, according to Paul's testimony here, he hath greatly withstood our words. He argued against it. He, he was a man of debate. He had that spirit of debate about him. Uh, obviously an unsaved man. And Paul is warning Timothy, saying, you need to be cautious of the same man. Apparently he was still there. He was still an issue. And so Paul writes, just giving us this little glimpse that's, that's I mean, the riot was bad enough. Uh, but now we find out there was this, this one individual. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul references Ephesus again here in an unusual way. First Corinthians chapter 15. And let me see, I think I want you in verse 32. Okay, I'm in the wrong chapter. That's why it doesn't look right. Paul says in verse 32, this is the resurrection chapter. He says, if I, after the manner of men, I'm sorry, if after the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at where? At Ephesus, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. He's talking about the fact that there were people in Corinth teaching that uh, either there was no resurrection of the dead or that it had happened, they'd all missed it. And Paul, Paul is saying, look, if there's no resurrection of the dead, if, if this life is all there is, then, then why did I go through all these struggles? Why am I, why? I'm, I'm really wasting my life if there's no resurrection, if there's nothing after this. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. But in illustrating that again, verse 32, if after the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. Now we know after Acts chapter 19, actually, actually chapter 20, verse one, Paul never went back to Ephesus. So if, if, if there was a, a time of fighting with beasts at Ephesus, it all happened in chapter 19, the establishment there. Now, you, you need to understand your church history a little bit. There would be a day and age where believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our forerunners, we're gonna be thrown in with wild animals to be fodder for the Colosseums, not just in Rome, but in anywhere there was a stadium or something around the world, that was gonna happen. Christians would be set on fire to light Nero's banquets in the evening. Uh, Christians would be thrown to the lions. They would be uh, sent in unarmed to fight against gladiators. The forms of torture that the Romans came up with uh, to uh, persecute believers boggles the imagination. That hasn't started yet. Nero would be the first Roman emperor who would initiate those types of persecutions. It hadn't happened yet. That wouldn't happen for about another 15 to 20 years of history. So when Paul says he fought with beasts at Ephesus, that practice wasn't happening against Christians yet. Is everybody okay? Historically, it's not happening. There's no evidence uh, in, in uh, uh, Acts chapter 19 
uh, that Paul was ever thrown into a Colosseum or a situation where he was supposed to fight with lions. By the way, if you study Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, as well as other historical references, those believers that were thrown into the wild uh, animals never survived. They always died. They were torn apart. What's Paul talking about? He said, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. Turn to the book of Jude. The book of Jude, right before the book of Revelation. Jude is warning about false teachers, people who profess to be believers, but they are not. And notice what he says about them in verse number 10. But these, these false teachers speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute, what? Beasts. In those things, they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Cain was Adam's eldest son who decided he would earn salvation his own way by bringing forth the fruit of the ground that he had produced, his own good works, rather than a sacrifice of blood given by faith. That's the way of Cain. They, they ran greedily after the error of Balaam. Balaam was a false prophet in Numbers chapters 22 to 24, um, who was a prophet for hire. And he came up with a doctrine uh, to, to help the uh, Israelites intermarry with the Moabites and corrupted themselves and brought God's judgment. And he did it for money. It says they also perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Korah was a Jewish man, uh, a leader in the days of Moses. His story comes to us in Numbers chapter 16. Uh, he got uh, three or four of his friends 250 of the princes of Israel claiming that they spoke for all of the nation and they stood up in criticism, rebellion against Moses. Their accusation was you take too much upon you seeing that all the congregation are holy. Uh, Moses took nothing on himself. Moses was appointed by God um, and they're saying you're taking too much on you. You're exalting yourself. We won't take the time uh, for sake of time, but if you go back to number 16, Moses' immediate reaction of being accused of exalting himself was he fell on his face before his accusers. He did it in that chapter, not once, but twice. He begged them to turn from their wicked ways. But Korah was a guy uh, who had authority issues, and he thought, well, I've got 250 princes. The Bible says they were famous in the congregation. People like this always like to get, like to say we speak for everyone and it's always good to get people that have a name on your side. By the way, that didn't work with God. Proverbs says though hand join in hand, those kind of people will not be unpunished. Before the day was done, the earth opened up, swallowed Korah and his followers and their families, and they went into hell alive and then the ground closed up over them. The 250 big shots that were uh, adding their name to the list, fire came out of the tabernacle and they were incinerated in front of everybody. But uh, Jude is saying these false prophets, 
they are, they are going in the way of Cain, a false plan of salvation, greedily after the error of Balaam. They're turning the doctrine of God into something for profit. And they've perished in the gainsaying. They've become critics and, and, and so forth like Korah. And he calls these people in verse 10, brute beasts. So we're going back to 1 Corinthians 15, and then we'll, we'll uh, look one more place. When Paul says, if after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, historically, that wasn't happening yet to believers. There's no record in the book of Acts chapter 19 that Paul was put in a situation with literal wild animals. But it does fit with biblical terminology that false teachers, rebels and so forth are described as beast or brute beast as they are in the book of Jude. Paul's giving us just some more glimpses of the battles that he faced in the ministry. Man, a lot of people got saved. Everybody in Asia heard the word of the Lord. Some great churches got started. The seven churches of Revelation probably all got started out of the ministry of the church at Ephesus, but it came at a great, great cost of spiritual warfare. Now I want you to go to the book of Ephesians, which is fitting. It's the letter written to the church at Ephesus. Paul never went back there, but he wrote them one of the greatest books of the New Testament. Deeply, deeply spiritual book. Look, if you would, to chapter six. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil never plays fair. He's always subtle. It always comes across looking like it's one thing when in reality it's another. That's what it means, the wiles, the deceit, the trickery of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're going to come back um, and, and move on in this, this same passage of scripture. So keep your, your Bibles open to Ephesians 6 for just a moment. The people at Ephesus understood spiritual darkness. They came out of it. Remember, we studied that uh, right before this riot broke out, these people that got saved, they brought all of their occult items in, all of their books about the occult, and they burned them. And it was a public thing. 50,000 pieces of silver was the valuation of it. In today's economy, again, that's about a million dollars worth of occult stuff that they put to the, the fire and got rid of. Right before that happened, uh, remember Paul was casting out demons in the name of Christ. The seven sons of a man named Sceva tried to do that. And the demons said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but I have no idea who you are. And uh, this one demon-possessed guy beat the seven sons of Sceva up, ripped their clothing off and sent them out into the streets screaming and naked Spiritual, spiritual warfare was something they understood very, very clearly. They saw it. They came out of that kind of darkness. Okay? Most of us didn't. Most of us didn't come out of the occult. Um, 
Many of us were raised in some kind of a church. How many of you were? I'm not saying necessarily it was a Bible-believing church, some kind of a church. I was raised Presbyterian. Uh, nobody in my church carried a Bible, though we read responsively in the back of the hymn book some Bible verses every week. Uh, we sang a lot of the same songs we sing here in this church. I heard about the virgin birth, uh, the death of Christ, I, the, the resurrection, the miracles, and so forth. I was taught a false plan of salvation, but, but my point is, I didn't come out of the worship of Diana of the Ephesians or Asclepius or, or any of these other things. I didn't come out of satanic ritual or anything like that. Um, so the idea of spiritual warfare to us is almost something we find hard to believe. Not the people at Ephesus. Remember, Paul's given us some glimpses now. He did so in 2 Timothy 4. He did so in 1 Corinthians 15, that there was more than just a riot that happened for three hours in Ephesus. During that two-year period of incredible ministry, there was also incredible spiritual opposition and the people he's writing the book of Ephesians to were eyewitnesses of that. They came out of that culture. They're understanding it. And Paul is reminding them of this. So again, notice again, he's saying, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Can I draw your attention to a few things from this text tonight? And next week we'll be moving on from what uh, we'll actually meet with the elders of Ephesus next week and see Paul's final message to them. Um, but I, as we finish Paul's ministry in that city, there has to be a realization that there is a spiritual warfare and that it's real. You and I have to wake up to that. Um, we're not supposed to be caught unawares of any of this. We have to realize that there is the warfare. Verse 13, he says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Question, do you suppose the world was more wicked in the first century than it is in the 21st century? How many think that would probably be so? The world's probably more wicked then. Do you understand the people at Ephesus didn't have cell phones? I, I don't mean to be crude. I don't mean to be inappropriate. But if you have a smartphone, you have inter internet access, you have access to one billion pornographic websites. I didn't say million. I said billion. They didn't have that in Ephesus. Uh, they didn't have 480 different channels of television, you know, 19 different HBOs and, and all the rot that comes on there. They, they didn't have that. They didn't have movie theaters. I understand they had pagan temples. They had, they had uh, temple prostitution. They had a lot of wickedness. Uh, they had a lot of barbarism and all that kind of stuff. Do you, but you realize, take anything they had then and, and, and we're actually, we've, we're exponentially worse than that. How many of you ever dreamed that in your lifetime, grown men 
dressed as freakish looking women would be sitting in a library reading to children. How many ever dreamed of something like that? Um, what I find even more disturbing than that are the parents that think it's okay to take their children in to let these freaks read to them. We're living in the last days. The Savior taught in Matthew chapter 24 that, that in the last time, the last days, he said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. We're living in that day. And he said that, that, that iniquity and, and evil men and, and, and seducers are gonna wax worse and worse. Um, the Savior said several times, as it was in the days of Noah. Go back to Genesis 6. What were the days of Noah? Genesis 6. An easy place to find. Notice what the Bible says in verse 5. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. That every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, that's the, the heart of man, was only evil continually. Jesus said in the last days it was gonna be as it was in the days of Noah. We gotta understand there is a spiritual warfare. If it was going on in Ephesus in the first century around the year 60, AD, you mark it down in 2023, uh, it is full blown, it is warfare, okay? Are we okay on that? And here's the problem, the people at Ephesus, I really believe as they read this letter, they're sitting up, they're paying attention, they came out of it, they, they, they knew what it was like, they saw demons cast out of people, they saw demon-possessed people, they recognized them, and if you don't think there are demon-possessed people today in this culture, in this, in this time, you're wrong. The devil hasn't changed anything. They would sit up, and here's the problem with us, we're just taking it in stride. We're just like, okay, so the spiritual warfare. You understand, this is life or death. I've, I've never had the experience of war. We have many people in our church that have, soldiers that have gone to war and so forth. I, I read about it, not the same. I won't even pretend that I know anything about it. I, I follow some of the hot spots in our world, uh, even today, and I, I hear some of the atrocities that are coming out uh, of war-torn countries and so on and so forth. Uh, war's not a walk in the park. I saw uh, somebody put a, a, a meme or something up uh, a long time ago that said, pastoring a church is a walk in the park. It's Jurassic Park, but it's still a park. And we joke about stuff like that, but, but there's, there's nothing, there, there's nothing ho-hum or blasé about being in a war zone. It's terrifying. The people at Ephesus, they got saved out of it. And so Paul's writing back to them. I honestly see them sitting up saying, you're right, there is a warfare. There is an enemy. What do we do about it? So there's a realization, there's a warfare, but there's gotta be a recognition of the enemy. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, 
against spiritual wickedness in high places. See, we think that we've, we can put a face on the spiritual warfare and, and there's a certain extent to which we can, but it's really not flesh and blood. Paul, in fact, said it's not flesh and blood. It's all behind the scenes. It's all spiritual. It's the devil. It's the demons. They are real. I'm not just trying to be a fear mongerer tonight. I'm trying to be a biblical theologian. It is real. And Paul said, that's what we, rec we wrestle against. Turn, if you would, to John chapter, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. John warns us about this. One of the enemies that we have is the world itself. But the world, he's not talking about the planet. He's not really even talking about the people. He's talking about the, the mindset, the philosophy, uh, the, the, uh, the spirit of the world. Look at what he says in verse 13. Um, uh, chapter 3, verse 13, if I can get there. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Look at verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, neither in deed, or but in deed in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and sure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. Uh, chapter, uh, I'm, I'm getting some of my, my verses mixed up. Let me just go back to chapter three, verse 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Hate is a strong word, isn't it? Very strong word. There are things I don't like. I don't like sriracha sauce. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I, I, it, just, it just ought not be consumed by people. I don't like, but I don't hate it, okay? Uh, there, there's a lot of things I don't really care for. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of fast food. I don't, I don't really like um, most fast, fast food. I can't say, though, that I hate it. Hate is an exceptionally strong word, very, very strong word. The Bible says, marvel not if the world hate you. I know I referenced those five women on that TV show, The Moo. I'm sorry, The View. I'm pretty sure to qualify to be on that panel, you have to have failed an IQ test. I'm pretty sure to be in the audience, you have to not be able to spell IQ. Um, listen to them talk. Listen to talk about anything conservative Listen to them talk about anything Christian. There was a segment not long ago on there when, uh, uh, some months ago when the Supreme Court overthrew uh, the Roe v. Wade thing. And these, these women, are, they're, they're, just, they're just out there. They're cackling. They're, they're, I mean, they're just flipping out all over the place. Jane Fonda and, I, and uh, Lily Tomlin uh, were two of the guest panelists on there that day, and they were talking about the Christian right and so forth. Um, and so, and uh, one of them said, what can we do about it? And Jane Fonda's answer was murder. Murder. And people in the crowd, someone, huh, kind of like, did she mean that? And whoopee, 
what a name. Whoopi said, she didn't really mean that. And Jane Fonda said, yes, I did. Murder. It, 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 that's, that's the world we live in. That's why when you take a stand against drag queens and this trans stuff, um, you're, you're labeled a hater, you're labeled all kinds of things. John says, marvel not if the world hates you. In John chapter 15, we're running out of time. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own because ye are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. There's a spiritual warfare there, okay? We need to understand that the world is part of it. The flesh is part of it. Galatians chapter five. We'll be back in Ephesians six in a moment. Galatians chapter five. The flesh, that's our old nature, our sinful nature. We're all in possession of that until we get to heaven. Uh, notice what the Bible says in um, verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed, yet ye be not consumed one of another. Christian cannibalism is rampant. Paul goes on, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, that's capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So there's a spiritual warfare. The world is diametrically opposed to everything that we proclaim, everything that this book teaches and so forth. Uh, at the same time, my own flesh is contrary to the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Every time the Holy Spirit is trying to draw me into a closer, more right relationship with God, my flesh is rebelling against that. My flesh, my flesh rankles against it and doesn't like that. So we got the world, the flesh, and finally, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and you're familiar with this, and this one, and that's the devil. It says in verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So Peter's warning us again. There's that spiritual warfare. Paul warned about it in, in Ephesians chapter six about the wiles of the devil. So we got the world, we've got the flesh, and we've got the devil, and they're all coming after us, trying to stop us from growing, stop us from standing, stop us from living for God, stop us from sharing our faith. There is a spiritual warfare that is going on. And let me just kind of put this in here. Uh, we're going to come back to this next Wednesday night because to just run over it in a minute or two does a disservice to the scripture. Something that you and I need to be reminded of. We know we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so forth. We understand the spiritual aspect of it, but please mark this down. The devil quite often uses people to accomplish his work. It's not always the people that we think. It's not just the drug dealer. It's not just the, 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 the leader of the cartel down in Latin America. 
Um, It's it's not just Hollywood. It's kind of sometimes the people we wouldn't suspect. Look, if you would, to uh, 1 Chronicles 21. 1 Chronicles 21. You're turning there. David was known as a man. What was it? A man after God's own heart. Okay? 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1. And, next word, church, Satan stood up against Israel and provoked whom? David to number Israel. David is a man after God's own heart doing Satan's bidding. God commanded on several occasions for there to be a numbering of his people. In Moses' day, it happened when they first came out of Israel or out of Egypt. Then it happened just before Moses went to heaven and they were to go into the promised land. It was was two different generations. God commanded the numbering. But in 1 Chronicles 21, God didn't command it. This was an act of pride on David's part to say, I just want to show the world how big an army that I've got. But again, look at verse 21. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David. What's David known as? The man after God's own heart to number Israel. Turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. This is that early days of the church in Jerusalem. Thousands of people, Jewish people, have been saved and baptized. The Lord's adding to the church daily, such as should be saved. Uh, These people just had an amazing zeal for God and so forth. Verse 1, but a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira's wife, with Sapphira's wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Do you understand these are church members? in one of the greatest churches in the history of the world. So they've sold some land and they're keeping back part of the price. There was no sin in that. Um, They're keeping it privately, that that information. They brought a certain part, laid it at the apostles' feet. Verse three. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath, next word, church, Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land. He said, while it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Now it's not light unto men, but unto God. You understand, these were church members. And the sin wasn't that they didn't give it all. The sin was that they only gave part, but they told everybody we gave it all. They lied. You understand, Satan used church members to do his work. There is a spiritual warfare. It's on. The battle is on. There's the world, the flesh, and the devil. You and I, as we consider all of this, one of the things we have to take to heart is we have to make sure 
we're not one of the ones he's using. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're done. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're done. Notice what the Bible says here. Verse number, oh, let's just go ahead and start at um, verse 21. It's so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So we're saved now. So we need to put off the flesh. We need that, that old life, that old person we were, uh, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. All, behold, all things are become new. That ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You might want to circle the word true. There's a false holiness. The Pharisees had a false holiness. He said true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Read verse 27 with me, church. Neither give place to the devil. You understand verses 26 and 27, that's all one sentence. Paul, he hasn't got to, even to the spiritual armor conversation. That's, that's two chapters away. But he's warning us, be careful. Do not give place to the devil. Don't let him have a say. Don't let him get his foot in the door. So this matter of spiritual warfare, it is a reality. I, I don't think we see it the way the early church did. I think we've, we've got a laissez-faire uh, mentality about it, like, you know, say la vie. Yeah, okay, it's out there, but I think we're fine. Uh, we need to change that mentality entirely. Devil doesn't belong in this church. Anybody want to say amen to that? This is God's church. Christ died for this church. And you and I need to make sure that we are not letting the devil use us like David did, like Ananias and Sapphira did. And like Paul is warning us of in Ephesians chapter four, we're going to talk next week about the requisitioning of the armor, what that means and so on and so forth. But we need to stop there for sake of time tonight. Brother Tim, do we need to tear down? Okay, we don't need to tear anything down, but please get your kids. Okay, let us pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us.